Today, I want to talk about drug advocacy. What is it? What does Canada do? And what can you do as a broker to help your customers? My name is Yafa Sakaja, and I'm the CEO of Beneplan. We use drug advocacy quite heavily at Beneplan. Um, we actually have somebody who's on staff as a full-time drug advocate. And I wanted to share with you why I decided to have somebody on staff to be an employer side or a patient side drug advocate. So obviously if you're listening to this, you might be an employee benefits broker, or you might be a plant sponsor who's just really curious about benefits. And if that's uh, the case, thanks for listening. But you know, in Canada, we definitely see, like we see in other countries, the rise of really expensive high cost medications. And so every year we used to just see these on renewals you know, $10,000 a year, $50,000 a year, $300,000 a year for one drug, for one patient. And forgive me if this is all review, I'm just going to speak as if you've never seen this before. But if you see this for the first time on your renewal, this is typically how the conversation goes. Hey client, the insurance company is increasing your premiums by insert enormous percentage, like 50%, 100%, 25%, whatever it is. Client says, oh my goodness, but we've always had like reasonable increases for the last three years. Reasonable meaning 0%, 3%, 5%, 10%. Like this is what I deem to be reasonable. Um, anything in the double digits, like the heavy double digits starts to feel unreasonable. And the client's saying, why is it going up by so much? And what can we do about it? So if it's your first time, don't just say we're going to shop the market because you're going to hit a wall. When you see that in the drug listing, you've got one very expensive medication that's on there and you've never seen that before. The first thing that, this is what I do when I see this first before I do any due diligence. And by the way, hopefully you're doing this before you send the renewal. Like don't just email the renewal to the client, actually open it up, look at the bottom line increase, look at what is the cause. And if it is a large expensive drug, Google the name of the drug, find out what it's for. And that's automatically going to tell you if you believe it's a recurring drug or a non-recurring drug. Many, many, many times we're dealing with recurring drugs. And many times we're dealing with things like biologic drugs that are anti-inflammatory, um, anti-autoimmune, like Remicade, Humira. Those are kind of like the typical bread and butter type drugs, but there's a ton, a ton. There's like cancer drugs, chemo drugs. I mean, Sure, with chemo, it could be a one-time thing, but cancer is sadly one of those things that comes back sometimes. So it could be maybe twice in a lifetime that you see this medication, depending upon what it is. So I would start with that, like, what is it? Then the next place I would Google is I would find my local provincial drug formulary. I live in Ontario here, so I'm gonna Google the Ontario drug formulary, ODB formulary. If you live in a different province or a different jurisdiction, Try to find your government health insurance plan. I realize that half of my listeners are from America and I love you, my American cousins. You know, I know it's very, very different there, but take a look, see if there's any kind of like Medicare or Medicaid type drug listing or drug formulary where you can search the drug. So if you're in Ontario like me, I first thing I do is I Google ODB drug formulary. I type in the name of the drug, I hit search and I see if it's covered. And I'm telling you like 99% of the time, I see that the drug is covered on the government drug plan um, and how much money they pay per pill and what criteria they pay. So will they only pay the generic or not? Then because I'm in Ontario, I'm also going to Google the EAP criteria, exceptional access program criteria. 
that's because technically in Ontario, sometimes, I mean, look, here's how it works straight up. OHIP as the Ontario health insurance plan here in Ontario, the government quote unquote free healthcare says, look, we'll pay for your medications. If, um, you meet one of these categories, if you're a veteran, if you're a first nations indigenous person, if you're on welfare, or if you are um, a senior, so over age 65. And then finally, the fifth one is if your employee benefits don't cover the whole cost. And not just that, if you read the legislation, which I highly encourage you to read your legislation, please don't be scared of it. Like read it, skim it. Even if you read like the title of every section, it's going to give you such a great stomach for this stuff. So when you read the Ontario drug program uh, registration here in the legislation, they're actually more nuanced about it. They're like, look, we are the payer of the last resort when you're, you, you meaning as the individual, their patient, when your out-of-pocket costs towards medications exceed 3% of your household income. If you're in other provinces, like if you're in Quebec or British Columbia, they also have programs like this. It could be 3 to 4% of your income. This is what we call means-tested program, meaning like, Government saying, look, we're going to use taxpayer dollars to pay for your meds, but with all due respect, can you please like have some sort of copier deductible because we know that that affects human behavior. Um, and a lot of them say we're the payer of last resort. So we're going to pay after your, all of your other insurance plans pay. The other thing I do is just see if you can find the insurance company's uh, policy on this. So try to go to the insurance company's webpage, find the forms page, see if there's a pre um, predetermination form for that medication. Take a quick look. And I do that because it's important that when you're, before you're about to talk to your client who we hold in high regard, we want to make sure that we've done all of our due diligence to make sure that we know that this medicine, um, whether it's something that might recur or not. And also if you're asked by the client, which is going to be a legitimate question, like why are we paying for this medicine? Um, that you're, uh, you're prepared with the eligibility criteria. I say that because of course we have a lot of different, um, people in the plan administrator role. People come from different walks of life. They come from different biases. And so there's a lot of medications that we pay for that will come with bias and controversy. So for example, we have HIV medications that we pay for and, you know, you can see the client's eyes where you're wondering, like, are they trying to think about who it might be and judge that just because we do still have enormous stigma around HIV and AIDS. Um, hepatitis C is a big one. So we can't, there was this huge, uh, wave that we call it the Harvoni wave in 2015, where they actually came out with a cure for hepatitis C, but hepatitis C is something where, I don't know if you kind of like live fast in the eighties, if you partied a lot, like there was hepatitis C. So there are definitely, um, stigma attached to that cancer. Typically there's less stigma with that diabetes. There's a little bit of stigma still, unfortunately, I like, I still hear you'd be amazed at what I hear, um, in closed rooms. Um, and then finally, just with the weight loss medications, when people are saying, why are we paying $10,000 per person per year for this? Like, what is the insurance company doing to prevent this? That you're prepared to say, no, no, the form does ask you to prove that you have this type of diabetes and it asks you to put in your, your numbers and everything. Um, thank you. What's another example? Oh, opiates. I mean, opiates are a massive, massive area of spend. And, uh, the client is really going to push you on like, what are, what is the insurance company doing to prevent 
what we call diversion. And diversion is just the practice of effectively like using your benefit plan to buy, you know, a bunch of oxy pills, like a hundred oxy pills and selling each one on the street for like $20 a piece. Really, really ugly behavior, really sad, really evil. I think in my humble perspective, I'm a mom. So like, I don't like that. Um, but you know, the stuff sadly exists and it's going to come through on the data. Um, and then of course, like the big elephant in the room is the autoimmune disorders. So the arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, the psoriasis, like the stuff that you see the my husband call it the MABs. Like whenever we see a TV commercial and they're, they're promoting a new medicine it's like, and something, something MAB, like enolimumab or whatever. Like I'm not a doctor, but I'm like, I know that MAB means I'm going to have a tough renewal. So yeah. So just kind of do all of that research first so that when you present it in front of the client, you're not just like, Oh, we'll shop the market or we'll go back to the underwriter and push back. You can't effectively push back. Like, what are you going to say to the underwriter when you've when the client has paid $50,000 of premiums, but is using $100,000 of claims. We know that insurance companies are not charities <laughs> and they're in the business to make a profit. So let's just understand those two facts. And then also when you're shopping the market with a drug like that, like clients are going to have a really hard time shopping the market if they are um, presenting a renewal like that with no solution. Uh, insurance companies are not going to bid on something when they see that they're going to make a loss. I have seen the rare cases. Um, and I'll, I'll get into the drug advocacy bit in a minute, but I have seen some rare cases where the broker comes to us, asks for a quote and says, well, we actually do know who it is because sadly the person has come forward. We trust this client. It's a business that we've been in business with for a long time. Sadly, this person has already passed away. Therefore, this is not a recurring claim. Therefore, you know, the. I mean, I even like saying this stuff, I hear how evil it sounds like I'm in the health insurance business and people are speaking like this, but I mean, this is the kind of information that is being presented. And, and so if you can say to the insurance company, Hey, here's more evidence that this is not a recurring claim, go ahead and quote it. You might be able to get a better renewal. However, Let's say all of that doesn't work. All of that has failed. It's a recurring claim. Person's still alive. What do you do? I went really deep in this world. I researched a lot. I talked to a lot of people. I visited hospitals. I read the legislation a few times. I talked to pharmacists. I read the formula. I read the fine print. Like I talked to doctors. I talked to drug um, reps. Like I've been in the field heavily. And so what I'm about to say might sound controversial to some of you, but for me is just a normal part of my daily life. So when I started doing work in this, I noticed that a lot of people kept referencing their drug advocate. And I was like, huh, who's your drug advocate? Because here in Ontario and Canada, I'm like thinking, okay, well, the Canadian way is to like pay for very expensive healthcare. And then I remember talking to this really brilliant pharmacist named Mike Sullivan. Mike Sullivan runs this amazing um, Canadian data analytics company. He also sells his own stop loss. You should definitely go Google him. Um, see if you want to work with him or recommend a client to him. But anyways, he was like, you know, Yaffa, why is it that if you get chemo in a hospital setting in Canada, the government pays for that. But if you're prescribed oral chemotherapy where you have to swallow a pill, you exit the hospital, you walk into a pharmacy and now your private plan is paying for it. If you don't have a private plan, or if you have a heavy copay, like a 10 or 20%, even 10% of $50,000 is a lot of money. 
like $5,000 people will just have like sitting around. So what do people do? And is it fair? Is it the Canadian way? No, of course it's not the Canadian way to leave those person, people behind. Um, that's what Trillium is for in Ontario or RAMQ in Quebec or BC Pharmacare in British Columbia and so on and so forth. So, but it did bring to light this like really nuanced part of our healthcare system <clears throat> and the bureaucracy and the systems, like literal computer systems limitations at coordination. And I remember talking to brokers who were like talking to ministers and trying to lobby them to like make better systems. And it's just like, it's an exhausting exercise that people are like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. But at the end of the day, if it's October 25th, 2023, and you have cancer and you're like at the pharmacy today, picking up your medicine, it's, it's a big deal. Like you're not like, you don't want to wait for legislation or bureaucracy or my goodness, like systems to be changed. So what do people actually do? So I thought, well, the pharmacist will help them fill out the Trillium program, which is the government Medicare. And yes, by and large, many pharmacists were doing that. If you, if you go to a pharmacy where they take the time to sit with you, a lot of mom and pop pharmacies do that. A lot of specialty pharmacies do that. Um, but not every pharmacy does that. And sometimes pharmacies are very busy and people feel like they're being rushed and they don't have the time. Or you have other barriers, accessibility barriers and equity barriers, like um, maybe language, maybe English is not their first language, or maybe there's just... Um, even though there is literacy, it's still a really confusing system. So sometimes those people fall through the cracks where the doctor says, I don't have time to fill out this form and I'm not filling out this form for your insurance company. Like it's not my job. I'm not getting paid for it. And they're not, they're not getting paid for it. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, pharmacists, sometimes maybe you're falling through the cracks. Uh, maybe they're having a hard time interfacing with their insurance company or they don't have an employee benefit plan at all. So what do people do? And then this is where this concept of the drug advocate was presented to me. I remember I was trying to help somebody uh, get their drug covered and because their benefit plan had a really large copay. So we're trying to like figure out, okay, well, how do we get the 20% you're paying, which is $10,000? How do we get Trillium to pick up like, you know, $8,000 of that and the other $2,000 because of your household deductible, like you can pay every quarter and, you know, where, what happens there which is still, it's like a car payment or another cell phone payment. Like it's a lot of money for people. So I remember they were like, oh yeah, my drug advocate helped me with the form. And I was like, who's your drug advocate? <clears throat> and then what I realized is that this drug advocate actually works on the payroll of the drug manufacturer of the pharma company. And their job is literally to like be in the hospital and talk to physicians and specialists and say, hey, when you're about to prescribe this, if you need help, I'm here for you. They're not the drug rep. They're not the salesperson. They're a drug advocate to literally advocate for insurance companies to pay for the medicine, which is great. However, you, if you're listening to this, are on the other side of this because you are, your plan is subject to this advocacy. And a lot of the time, um, it does require a lot of pushing and advocacy where the private health insurance company will pick up the medicine and it ends up in your plan. So what can people do? What do people do? What do people do? Well, I decided to hire a drug advocate myself and we trained her. I said, look, this is your job. Your job is to get a hundred percent coverage for all of these expensive medications for these Canadians working for our clients, um, and even prospects. And we've even helped people who are not our clients just because we think it's, 
one of our values is to use your powers for good. But we said, look, your goal is to actually, if everyone's out there saying that quote unquote, we are the payer of last resort. I said, your job is to make, um, you know, to be the opposite of that. So where the Canadian drug government program says we're the payer of last resort and pharma says we're the payer of last resort. Well, we're like, well, why can't our small business be the payer of last resort? Like, what about this? Like, a uh, 10 person plumbing company in the suburbs. Like what about this 30 person electricity contractor in inner burbs? Like, can they afford to underwrite this like $50,000 expense every year? That's going to like really destroy their premiums, like increase it by 30%, 50%, hundred percent year over year. Like, is that really the Canadian way? Like dig deep is what are the whispers in your soul say? Is it the Canadian way to have a small business pay and underwrite that? No, it's not. It's not the Canadian way. It's not. So our, our drug advocate is there to say, look, if you've got this really expensive medication and you have some limitation on your benefit plan, meaning a drug maximum, a dollar amount per person per year or per lifetime, or a very large copay or deductible, then their job is to help the patient apply for the Trillium drug program, apply for any Canadian nonprofits, um, funding that exists and apply to drum roll, the pharmaceutical patient assistance program. Don't come at me. I am Robin hood. I'm here to tell people where the money is. So don't go throwing your eggs at me. If you don't like that, I'm saying this, but, um, I remember sitting in an industry peer group where we had other people like us, like other in- benefits intermediaries around the table. And there was a representative from the pharma industry, like a consortium. And they were there trying to explain to us how important these medicines are. And I'm not debating that. Like I'm not here to, I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to tell you like what research has been done and how we're saving lives and preventing disabilities. Like that's not my job. My job is to pay for it. Like my job is to defend the plant sponsor. My job is to be there in the corner, in the field, in the mud, with the person that runs the electricity company that doesn't have money falling from the sky that is like trying to make payroll and trying to keep benefits going. And that's my person. Okay. That's my person. So I'm here to defend my person with all due respect. So what I found out through talking to so hundreds of patients over the years is like pharma has an enormous amount of money deployed in the field for PAPS patient assistance programs. And again, going back to this industry peer group, I'm sitting there and the gentleman from the pharma consortium is like, not only are these drugs are great, but we've got a billion dollars, a billion dollars of money deployed in the field for patient assistance. What does that mean? That's a nice sentence. What does that actually mean in real life? Well, what I've witnessed today, which I want to tell you, which is really hard to find on the internet, but I found through my digging, it's that like when Ontario says that we want our patients to pay for the deductible um, out of their own pocket, there's a lot of pharma manufacturers that not them themselves, they have like a separate arm, like a nonprofit body or something. So it's all legal. It's like totally church and state where that nonprofit that happens to be supported by the pharma company is paying for the deductibles and paying for the co-pays and paying for like, they're actually the pair of last resort. And I'm like, why would they do this? 
Well, maybe because it's profitable, maybe because by and large, like they don't want physicians who are prescribing these to ever have to think twice about prescribing it. And let's face it, physicians don't even know the cost of these drugs. I mean, I asked physicians, like, how much does this MS drug cost? How much does Tecfidera cost? They're like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that my drug rep says, don't worry about it. We'll hook you up. We got the forms. We got the drug advocates. And I'm like, great. Well, like somebody has to worry about it. I have to worry about it. Cause guess what? If we don't, if we don't convince the plan sponsor to keep this going, nobody gets benefits or that business has to make some really difficult changes. Like that owner might have to cut their own pay, which affects their own business viability and their own mortgage and their own, like the food in their fridge. So this is real for me. And this is real for a lot of people. Okay. Um, so I was like, wait, so I thought like, it's technically not okay for anyone to pay the deductible on behalf of the patient. And if you read the Ontario legislation, if you call the minister, um, if you talk to them, yes, I'm publishing it on the internet. You can come after me. Like, it's fine. I just thought like, I just want to be the voice that is saying the emperor's not wearing any clothes. Cause it's a little ridiculous for me to like live, um, this dual reality. So yeah, I mean, I've been at conferences where people ask the deputy minister of the Ontario Drug Benefit Program, like, what you guys know, like, this is happening. Like, what are you doing to stop it? And they're like, yeah, no, it's not okay. Like, the patient has to pay the deductible. The patient has to pay the deductible. But realistically, practically, it's probably very difficult to enforce this, this rule. Enforce that, with all due respect, we're using taxpayer dollars. Can you patient, please kick in, like throw us a bone. Can you pay like the first thousand bucks, 2000 bucks, 3000 bucks? It's paid quarterly. So it's not like you get it once the whole year, you get it maybe $500 a quarter for $2,000 for the year. But I'm telling you, like there's still pharma programs that'll say, well, we'll pay that for you. Except because it's this like secret gray area thing that no one wants to touch or talk about. Um, what ends up happening is that people get just like free meds shipped to their house. So like for December when they have to, or January, they have to pay their deductible. It's like, no, we're just going to like send you this package. It's like unmarked package. I'm like, what is that? It's like, oh, it's a bridging program. I'm like, great. Bridging what? Like, well, we're just waiting for insurance to come and pick it up. So we're going to give you some free medicine. I'm like, wow, really? Like, this is phenomenal. This person has a benefit plan, but they're still getting free, really expensive drugs. Like, how do we do more of this? And, um, pharma, please don't hate me. Like, don't come in, destroy me. But I just think like, it's amazing that you're doing what you're doing. You're doing a good thing. Like spending a billion dollars for Canadians. Like we have 37 million people in Canada. doesn't even touch the United States. There's a ton of pops in the United States as well. There's a ton, like every single, you just Google like the name of the medicine and then the patient assistance program. You're going to find that. And typically when I'm starting to help enroll people in these programs, it's like an enrollment form. It's like a benefits enrollment. You just like fill out the one page, you sign, like I consent, you send it in. And how many times have I been on conference calls with the patient assistance program, which again is an arm of a different company of maybe a drug company that maybe pays for it and maybe doesn't, I don't know, it's not clear. And sometimes I'm like, Hey, so, you know, this person here, they're on this like $50,000 medication for MS. They're going to need it every year. Their plan only pays 80%. We're looking for the other 20%. The province will pay 5,000. We're looking for another 5,000. My God, I've like heard these people on the other line of the side of the call say, Oh yeah, we know Mr. So-and-so or Ms. So-and-so like 
their neurologist is this, or their specialist is that, their oncologist is this. Yeah, okay. Yep, they're in our system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've been pre-approved for financial assistance. I was like, whoa, you already know who this person is. Like, yeah, of course they know who these people are. Like, this, it's, yeah, this is a thing. <sighs> so, take a deep breath. Um, what are you going to actually do if you've got a heavy renewal? And I've seen renewals with like eight of these drugs on there, like literally a 400 person company. Um, and I'll never forget. It was a company that had a lot of physicians working for them. And I was like, so you guys have eight of these drugs on here. It's costing you an extra $150,000 a year of stop loss. And I'm, I'm talking to the CEO who is a former doctor. I'm talking to the CFO as well. Who's not a doctor. And I'm like, you want us to do our thing? You want us to use drug advocacy and drive a truck through this gray area, save 150 grand, save your benefit plan or not? So what do you think happened? <laughs> I mean, look, this business is uh, complicated and it can be scary. And I sleep like a baby at night. I sleep really peacefully because I know that in doing the drug advocacy work, we are helping the little person. We are helping the vulnerable patient, the plan member, the individual who requires this life sustaining medicine for them to show up to work, report for duty and be a good person, like be alive. Like we have some really amazing miracle drugs out there. And thank goodness that we have so many private benefit plans that pay full price or negotiate, but still pay cost plus an, am an amount. So thank you, Pharma, for creating patient assistance programs. And thank you for letting me talk about it. And if anybody has a question about this whole pass the buck thing, my email is yaffa at benaplan.ca. Thanks for listening.